mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Just checking. Just checking the premium bond prize draw. Oh, yes. I had a win. Did you? Yes. Lucky you. Not prepared to disclose how much. Were you, in a, were you in a private place oh, yes, to I'm reveal always, the results? I'm always in a private place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you look at that? Because yes, there's I a do. little screen thing, isn't there? Little if you have the yeah, app. Yeah. And, uh, and it says, uh, reveal results. Yeah. You know, Basically, are you somewhere safe? Yes. And, and every single time, I don't have the full premium bonds, so it's very unlikely I'm going to win big. Mm. Um, but every time it's just that beautiful dream, isn't it? Oh, just, yeah. uh, just for a couple of seconds where you just think, are they asking me that because I've won? Well, no, do you know what? The truth is, if you've won the real biggie and a couple of people, I think, is it a couple of people can win a million? Yeah, they phone you, don't they? They, do, they, they tell you the day before. I but I never answer my phone, so what would happen? I mean, I really, do, no, I really don't ever answer my phone. If it's, a, if it's not a number that I recognise, I mean, obviously I'd answer it if, if you it, If it flashed up premium bond jackpot but line. It, but it does, it wouldn't, would it? It'd be, no, it would be a weird... I don't know what it would be. Let's put it out there. Number. Does anybody, has anybody listening won a big prize? On the premium bonds. Yeah, actually, that's a good one. I mean, this is a UK-only shout-out, isn't it? Well, really? no. Well, let's broaden it because there'll be the equivalent of uh, is there though premium I don't bonds because they're government country. bonds, aren't they? Yeah, but I'm sure there'll be a postcode, you know, people's postcode lottery right. equivalent in some country. There's a lovely story. There's that. There's that property lottery thing, isn't there? Oh yes. And there's Amaze. a lo- yeah. There's a yeah. lovely story about uh, the family who won one of the most recent draws. Uh, because the mum in the family was phoned on the bus and the person said, you know, are you okay to, you know, to for me to tell mm. you something important? She just mm. went, yeah, you know, whatever, crack on. Yeah. And and they said, you've won. And she just announced it to the whole of the bus. Wouldn't oh, that be magical? God, that is that's <laughs> absolutely fabulous. magical. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I'd like to be in somebody's joyful moment like that. And then you'd get off the bus and think, yeah. oh, Shamble home in the rain, <laughs> filled with resentment. But yes, for a moment, <laughs> just in that time, that lovely shared moment, you'd be high as a kite. I mean, I do. Um, I always have the little word with myself. Uh, I don't want to win huge amounts of money. I'm very fortunate. I don't need to win huge amounts of money. But I do. You've think... already won lottery, man. <laughs> look at you. Shut up. No, oh, just the, oh, you must have had this conversation too. I'd love. Like twenty five grand. Yeah, Do you know, I mean, just enough to. I'd like to. Uh, yeah, 
absolutely that. We're very fortunate people, we are, so you don't want to you don't want to go there. Everybody's heard it. I did. You know what? This morning I was <laughs> I was laughing to myself because something sometimes things pop up on the phone. I don't know why. And I was looking at elasticated waist garments on Instagram, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I found myself watching. Barry Humphreys as Edna Everidge interviewing KD Lang. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> oh, how did that go? It was so funny. I mean, I loved Edna Everidge anyway. I really, I mean, I thought Barry's, the death of Barry Humphreys last year was one of those really sad celebrity deaths that I genuinely felt quite moved by. Um, but it was just brilliant because it was the pacing of the encounter. You know, KD Lang comes on in a very sharp suit, looking incredibly alluring. I'm a big fan of KD Lang, loved her music. And um, Edna starts off by saying, well, What does KD stand for? And just the and then somebody comes on and slaps a sticker on Katie Lang's, the lapel of her suit saying, Katie. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> ludicrous. And then um, Edna builds up to a very sensitive question, you know, about awareness and about um, identity. And um, you, you're lulled into thinking it's going to be one thing. And then Edna says to Katie, like, so, so Katie, when did you, when did you first know that you were Canadian? <laughs> And then it almost, within about three or four seconds, we've got the word beaver into the conversation. I mean, it's so <laughs> utterly puerile, but utterly, utterly brilliant. Oh, dear. So funny. I really liked Edna Everidge. Anyway, there you go. Uh, do you know, we were watching a nature programme. There's a fantastic, Ooh. fantastic programme about Scandinavian nice nature. Oh, well, yes. it's because we'd watched all of the other television. Oh, I see. Literally. The Bear in mind, I have watched you, Cheryl Baker's yes, Celebrity Escape yeah. to the Country. So okay. you know that I've done it all this yeah. Christmas. I've put in the shift. Okay. So we were watching a Scandinavian uh, nature programme. And uh, beavers just isn't as funny in the younger generation yeah, as it is in ours. But it's and, not funny and at all. No, there was absolutely no cognizance as to why I might be giggling at the enormously ambitious Scandinavian beavers. Right. Just be, okay. Come on. Right, welcome to the second edition of Off Air for 2024. Um, we haven't made any big changes. It's the same old shite, but you're very, very welcome to it. Jane O'Fee. They basically built a dam across Sweden, love. I mean, yeah, you just it, got I to know, really... Yeah, no, I'm in awe. You do, you yeah. do have to give them some kind uh, and, of... And I do. Space. Yes. Yeah. Jane O'Fee at times.radio. Right. Uh, okay, so uh, we've got some lovely suggestions actually for book club, and I think we will be deciding next week what we're going to read. Mm, yes. And this one comes from Ruth, who says, "Please do a book by Dorothy Whipple. Her writing is so subtle, poignant, and witty, and full of astute observations on people. All her books are brilliant, but you could do someone at a distance for the book club because there's lots to discuss, right. and there's just something about the name Dorothy Whipple. Yeah. I think if you're going to make up a name as a contemporary novelist who's been compared to the grandeur of Jane Austen, yeah, and she has, yeah, then mm. you would call yourself Dorothy Whipple. Well, I confess I knew nothing about Dorothy Whipple, but I was attracted by that email too. And I found a Times article, actually, from this time last year by the novelist Rachel Joyce about Dorothy Whipple and about that book. So um, saying that it really is remarkable yeah. and it deserves being you know, read now and discussed. 
So I think that's definitely a possibility. Well, we'll put it in the hat because I think Eve has been compiling a, oh, okay. a list and a spreadsheet uh, and we'll announce it next week. But it's always going to be something that's out in paperback. It's always going to be something you can yeah. get from a library. We'll have so, to check. And I, but I'm yeah. pretty sure that is available. Yeah, we do need yeah. those two things. Uh, this one comes from Kate, though, who says, I think you were asking for book favourites earlier. She's currently reading The Survivors by Jane Harper. Yeah. And she says she's gripped and all she wants to do is read. So she's probably not listening to this. Oh, well, she won't be well but then, I've yeah. just started a Jane Harper myself. But yes. you, you said it wasn't your favourite. I've That's, started Exile. Yes. Now, I listened to that as an audiobook. It was yeah. my going home companion on the tube, and it wasn't my favourite. But I thought The Dry was an amazing book. Oh, beautiful! And that book. was her, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. it certainly was. Uh, I'm actually as my my bedtime companion at the moment is Miriam Margulies. I think she'll probably rather like to be my bedtime companion. And I, so I'm reading her second memoir. It's absolutely it, it is filthy. Good. No, it, but it's it's good, isn't it? I enjoyed it more than the first. No, I'm enjoying. It. Well, you feel like she's with you. Yes, it's. it's I mean, it's clearly written by her. I know it's a daft observation because it is her second oh. memoir. As, as we found out uh, mm. quite a lot of times, actually, in the run-up to Christmas, not every celebrity has either written their book or read it. <laughs> That's, that is very true. <laughs> and if you send us a load of money in a brown envelope, we'll reveal the names of those people. Yes, actually, do you know what? Somebody revealed to me over the weekend the ghostwriter behind a very, very... I'll tell you later. And then I'll put it in That's code the in the podcast. second time today that you've told me something. Oh, yes, I've got to tell you that in the lift on the way down. Right. Right. <laughs> so this comes from... <laughs> Uh, from Amelia, who is a doctoral researcher. Have I said that the right way? Doctoral, doctoral researcher. Uh, and you make such a good point, actually. Uh, it's from a while back. It's after the interview that we did with Matt from Bake Off. Uh, so he was on, I think, in the week before Christmas. Uh, and you say, uh, Fee quite rightly brought up the issue of teenage girls falling out of love with sport. And Matt correctly said, and the boys, and I wanted to back him up. As someone doing a PhD on adolescent boys and physical activity, I'm acutely aware of how we sometimes miss the boys. When we look at masculinity and what it means to be a teenage boy, we now try and take, talk about masculinities as a plural because boys come in all sorts of shapes, sizes and personalities. And my research has found that there are plenty of teenage boys who really hate PE, hate changing rooms, hate competitive sports and really hate contact sports like football and rugby. And they have the same issues around their body image and developing bodies too. Boys also have the added pressure of looking a certain way. Love Island has a lot to answer for and boys often feel that they need to look buff and muscular. Like Matt, I'm all for encouraging teenagers to find a form of physical activity they love and not feel stereotyped into being non-sporty just because they don't like football or rugby and you're absolutely right so my apologies for uh, making that kind of uh, gender specific assumption because uh, I think you're right in all of these things and it's just so unhelpful I think at the moment to be uh, too focused on the differences between mm. boys and girls because an awful lot of what they're experiencing is exactly the same and it's more helpful to try and tackle it all. So, Amelia, you're absolutely right to um, to point that out. And the Love Island point as well. Well, I, do you know, I'm, I suppose I am, I think astounded is the right word, by the the physical perfection of the young men on that show. Yeah, but I mean, also the hairlessness. Hairlessness, the... Of, the of those, I, I, and I don't mean this in any way un unpleasantly to the young men that I knocked about with in my adolescence and, and afterwards. There were no bodies like that. No, were exactly. We didn't, we didn't encounter them. So their unachievable yeah. body shape is exactly the same as the unachievable body shapes of the women mm. who we've focused on for a long time, mm. haven't we? 
and and I think for the boys there's so much danger involved in trying to get to a body like that you know it quite often will involve uh, you know an awful lot of pumping iron only eating protein, protein shakes heading towards steroids you know all of that type of stuff uh, so it's really worth talking about that in exactly the same way as we talk about some of the hideous pressures for girls so Amelia thank you for that appreciated this is from, uh, I think I'll keep her anonymous, although she hasn't asked to be, in fairness. Um, I'm writing to you um, whilst I'm breastfeeding a very sleepless baby. Um, your podcast does help me stay awake and I, I remain slightly in tune with normal life. It will only be slightly, let's face it. Um, I, I wanted to write in to say that I'm an army officer. We get such a high quality of individual listening to the show. Uh, who in my working life is called mum by everyone. Oh God, you've gone back to the mum. <laughs> I find it so routine, says our correspondent. I had a good laugh at Jane wanting to have a title like this. I'm currently navigating my one-year notice period before leaving the service, finding a new normal with small children and what that means for my career long-term. They won't call you mum. No, your children won't, I'm here to tell you. I enjoy my career and I'm proud of what I've achieved. However, I have also experienced dreadful misogyny at times. Um, especially whilst pregnant or on return from maternity leave, to the extent I put in a legal complaint whilst eight months pregnant last year. As a mother of two young girls, I want to support them to achieve anything they want in life. However, I can't help but feel slightly hesitant as that was... as that was the parental support given to me, and it's led me to work in, at times, a very toxic environment where female qualities are not appreciated. As I age, I found a much stronger voice to be forthright about my own qualities, strengths and weaknesses. Women do have power, and we mustn't let it be dimmed by those afraid of our strength. Um, so to that to that woman, I am sorry that... Um, I, I can really appreciate that wanting to be in the army and being a, a successful officer in the in the army, I'm assuming it's the British Army, was something she was incredibly proud of. And that won't have been easy to achieve, will it? And I'm really sad to hear that there were some issues along the way. Mm. Um, so you could, I mean, we'll keep you anonymous, but perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about that. You don't say what happened about you put, what, what happened after you put in the legal complaint. Yeah, but I'd also be interested to just hear a bit more about the dismissal of kind of gender stereotypical uh, traits because mm. if you want to go down that road and you say that women are good at caring we're empathetic we can do nurture perhaps we can do understanding I'm not saying that every woman can or mm. chooses to do but if you were going to say those are in the kind of palette um, I wonder how easily those fit into what I've always assumed to be quite a I don't know, a, quite a rigid way of living in the army, yes, whether or not that fits into your battalion and following orders and whether you can be all of those things. Because well, those are question. all things that are needed, I mean, mm. especially in war. But I don't yeah. know, do they get respected as much? I, can, I have no idea, but I think it's a really good question. So I wonder if either that correspondent can get back in touch. I mean, she's quite busy uh, she feeding is, a yes. newborn baby. So, and, so we've asked a lot of and you And looking after her other daughter. But nevertheless, if you do have a moment, um, let us know and we'll keep you anonymous. We already have, so I think we're OK. So there. just on the mom thing. Yes. So do you think that in order to be a good mom, mm. you have to have been able to be a good subordinate? No. Right. Um. Actually, your your uh, emailer who wanted to do the survivors by Jane Harper. Um. Oh no. She actually says that all all she wants to do is read it. She's doing Dry January now. Um. I. This is Kate. I've never done Dry January. Have you? No. 
No. I mean, in fairness, neither of us... It is, it is the month when I need to drink the most. most. Yeah, I don't... Neither of us are big drinkers. We sort of talk about alcohol, with, but actually, in truth, we're Hope such really lightweights. <laughs> we just... Um, and we're very fortunate that we don't have a dependency on it. I think a whole month without the option of a drink would be not not something I'd look forward to. Um, and I'm, But having said that, I haven't had a drink since New Year's Eve. And it's a new year and a new me. Goodbye, Stilton. Hello, Kale. We'll see how long that one lasts. Yeah. You brought in some nice chocolates today. We were very appreciative oh, yes, of that. Oh, yes, I forgot about the chocolates. Yes. I did have... You've had, had a few. We've <laughs> <laughs> I've had, to be precise, only two. Yeah, and mm. one of them was alcohol-filled. Yeah, but that's only just now. Yes. I wouldn't do live radio. Yeah, but, but that would ruin your dry January, wouldn't it? Oh, I suppose in theory it probably would. Is there actual champagne in those? There can't be. I don't know. Um, you, on the radio show, read out Rita's email, um, but I think it's worth repeating that one. I think you should do well, it. No, then. you do it. No, you do it. OK. Um, this is from Rita, and this was about this... I mean, it was a terrible incident. It was funny because... The... Just don't do it better. Oh, I won't. Well, put my own special twist. <laughs> Um, yesterday's news, the world of news wasn't fully awake yesterday. Everybody was a little lacklustre, let's be honest, on January the 2nd. Everybody seems much perkier today for some reason here. Um, but there was that terrible um, incident in Japan, which could have been a lot, lot worse. Um, this was where there was a collision on an airport runway in Tokyo uh, between a, coast, a small Coast Guard aircraft and a Japan Airlines plane that was on the ground. That was, that was what happened, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, with 379 passenger and crew on board. Yeah, and they all, I mean, unfortunately, everybody on the smaller Coast Guard vessel, Coast Guard plane, did die. But everybody on the Air Japan Airlines plane survived because they got off. They got off as the plane was absolutely engulfed in flames. And Rita from Cranley has emailed. She is an ex-BA safety instructor. And she said, just to let you and your listeners know uh, that every aircraft gets a certification when it's designed and passed for development, that it can evacuate all the passengers using only half the exits in just 90 seconds. That was the bit we didn't know, wasn't it? Um, I took part in these trials at the Civil Aerospace Medical Institute in the US as a passenger. The lights go off and you've got no idea which of the half of the exits are blocked. It's then up to the cabin crew to manage the passengers, directing them to usable exits. Uh, crews are also encouraged to go through these drills during every takeoff and landing, so they may not be smiling when they do that information. Mm. And um, they don't smile, do they? Nor should they, I don't think, actually. Um, but you and I are both rather sort of sensible, risk-averse types, and I don't fly very often because I really don't like it very much, but I always watch the demonstration. I would never not. I'm just not that confident. No. I'm just and in myself, frankly. More recently, I've really checked in with myself about what I do know about that message because actually having travelled a, a lot as a child and then a, a younger person, I think it did all start to kind of wash over me a bit. And then when I started to travel with my kids, I thought, OK, no, I really do have to know what mm. to do. Yeah. And because it's that thing of you've got to... You do have to serve yourself first so that you remain standing and can help your kids and I just thought wow uh, I'm not sure that I have 
paid attention enough at all. But it's the timing on that that I just find astonishing. So yeah. to empty a plane in the dark... Over 300 people. In 90 seconds, with yeah. only half of the exits available to and you. And some of those people will be tiny children. Yeah. Some and will some be people will be in infirm. their 80s. Yeah. yeah. So And some incredible. will be, you know, larger people who might find it quite difficult to move around. There are all kinds of, you know, permutations. Mm. I often feel for really, really tall people on planes, you know, who have just kind Punched. of folded into their yeah. seats as well. So, no, all of that. So we're going to try, well, we're going to ask and see whether, uh, is it Rita? Yeah wants to come on the programme and maybe talk a little bit more about being in that position. Of also, to I mean, it makes you think about the responsibilities of, of cabin crew. I, I, I've always thought that was a hard job yeah. and a job that some people are a little keen to dismiss. Uh, I mean, imagine now with some of the drinking on board and ugh. there's always someone who goes in the toilet and wants to have a vape. Or worse. Or worse. Yeah. I hate to break it to you, but I think worse things go on. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I can't imagine a worse place to make love. <laughs> I don't, I, if you think if you're doing it in an airplane toilet, it's not make love, is it? I mean, at its in the nicest possible sense of the word. I think it's probably pick up germs. <laughs> God. <laughs> shall, shall we go? Who, who do you think has ever used the following sentence? Shall we go to the plane <laughs> toilet and, and make, make love? love. <laughs> <laughs> We're so nice. We're so sweet. You're adorable. Uh, this one comes from Rachel Packer, who says, uh, My husband Gary has always clipped one wing of each of our rescue hens to stop them flying over the hedges. Now, what was this about? Oh, this is about the ravens at the Tower of London. We were talking about them because they have had their wings clipped. Yeah, because they? two of them keep flying off. And this is a relatively weird story from the United Kingdom, those listening... <laughs> Uh, elsewhere might sometimes wonder what goes on in this benighted isle of ours well we don't really understand either but not very far from where we're sitting in fact if you look out the window and then just gaze right you can see the tower you of can. london it's spooky it is very spooky at night indeed terrifying horrible murderous things have been done there uh but we are always told that uh britain england will collapse if the ravens that are kept at the tower of london fly off so they're not allowed to fly off and we were intrigued yesterday to discover there are only six ravens but there is actually a seventh but a that spare. one is a spare yeah. but we don't know whether that raven knows they're only spare no and it's quite cruel if it does i think it's a real blow yeah but it's a diminishing role isn't it yeah what well, is you we are found out prince harry of the raven world <laughs> yeah yeah anyway look uh, rachel packer's husband gary yes. has been <laughs> clipping email. one wing of each of their rescue hens to stop them flying over the hedges but this year he surpassed himself he managed to clip one wing of each of the queen bees in his hives what so that they couldn't swarm one tried it and only succeeded in spiralling down under the hive. All her workers flew away over the road, realised their leader wasn't with them, so they flew back and clustered around her. Gary, with two R's, was able to lift them into a new hive where they settled happily, busily making honey. Love from a very windy Western supermare. Now, do you know what? It's that kind of email that makes me mm. joyful to be doing a podcast and alive, actually. Yeah. I mean, who knew that you could clip the wings of a queen bee? I, you're absolutely right. That is the reason I do a podcast. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. That email and the one we had about thrush just before Christmas, <laughs> to me, summed up the appeal of podcasting. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Now, let's bring in our guest because um, I think a lot of people will enjoy hearing from Isenda Maxstone-Graham, uh, a social historian and writer who specialises in our recent past with particular emphasis on the lives of women and girls. Now, she's written a book called Jobs for the Girls, and it's really about the British education system in the 20th century with its incredibly low expectations of girls. And career options back in the day in this country used to be limited for girls to uh, nursing or the typing pool, and that's if you were lucky. Um, this interview does include a reference to a meal, I confess I hadn't heard of, beetroot with white sauce. Yes. So I'm just putting that out there in case you are likely to be upset by that reference towards the end of the conversation. Asenda told us why she wanted to focus on women and the British workplace. Yes, well, I, I, my first book um, in this sort of, I, I call it a trilogy, was about life in girls' boarding schools. Then I wrote a, a, about what happened in the summer holidays, those lovely neglected weeks when no one, our parents had no idea no idea where we were and then I wanted to say sort of find out what the hell happened next what happened when you were tipped out of that that rather pampered existence into the world of into the world of adulthood yeah um, it's not just about privileged middle class and upper class women no but there exactly. are working class yes. women's experiences in here too there are very much I really wanted to touch all four corners of, of the United Kingdom and all all strata of society so it was the culture of low expectations wasn't it and I, I loved your starting point for this book which was the very important maths level and anyone who says well what are you talking about I can still remember walking down the road on the day I took my maths O level knowing that my performance that day would probably 
dictate the course of my life. And that was in 1980. And I wasn't wrong. So recent, really, that people, I discovered from perhaps the lowest strata of society and the highest, both were... It was off the menu, off the menu. Um, very posh girls' schools, you were sort of you were allowed to give up maths at the age of 12 or, or do the, the CSE, which was hardly didn't even count as a proper level. Um, came out so unqualified, unable to be a teacher, nurse, you know, all those even basic, quite basic professions, let alone anything higher. At secondary modern sco- schools too, you left in swathes at the age of, after you turned 15, with no qualifications whatsoever. Again, you're, you were stymied before you started. But why was that allowed to happen? I just think there was a, certainly with daughters, perhaps just a real sense that that wasn't what you needed to do in life. As, as one, one, what I was really set off with in this book was when I, hearing one woman say, say to me that her father, when she was 17, said to her, there's no need for you to have a career, darling. You're perfectly bedworthy and we'll get married. And this was not lost in the mists of time. This was in within living memory. Absolutely, within, that's what I really wanted this book to be, within living memory. So, so it's grandparents who've often had rather amazing in their way, very fulfilled lives, but yet were were just had that kind of thing said to them. But part of the problem was the fact that employers wouldn't allow an awful lot of women to carry on working after they had got married and had children. I mean, that was true even in the nursing profession, wasn't it? Absolutely, it it was. You expected to give up on marriage. So, exactly, so there were all these carpets being pulled from under your feet, um, even even if you had had got into something. So, exactly, so the maths level. So I had some hilarious stories of people just sort of getting an A, but an A for absent rather than A for <laughs> A for absent rather than A result because because they somehow just didn't even bother to turn up because it was just there was just no no understanding that this was was a vital ticket Indust- yeah. industrial mo- mo- mobility I call it rather like social mobility industrial mobility that's what you needed that's your ticket right um, and it it really was um, and I wonder whether some people are very sentimental about the grammar school system which still mm. it's not. It's actually still in existence in parts of the country, isn't it? Well, I, yes, I mean, exactly. The, that middle, Are you? A, the middle, the middle swathe was the, were the lucky ones, I'd say, that sort of more academic of the private schools and the good, solid grammar schools um, were a way, a ticket out for, for people to... But they weren't yeah. a ticket out, first of all, if you failed the 11 plus. No, they weren't. And I just, I, t- I talked to girls who felt perpetually belittled for life by having, by having failed the what, 11 you, plus. You really do think Oh, that... yes. I mean, you know, it, it knocked the stuffing out of you in no end. I mean, you know, and still still recovering 50 years later from that awful shock. Uh, so exactly, it wasn't a fair system at all, so I don't think it was a rosy... No. A rosy past totally, although you know it did have its it did have its era of, of of aspiration for women. Although even grammar schools had something called the nursing sixth, which is the sixth form where you didn't actually do A levels; you just sort of prepared to to bear to be a nurse rather than a doctor. Um, not that I'm denigrating nursing; nursing no. is a marvelous profession. But as I say, the, this autodidact woman I spoke to who didn't get a maths level, didn't get anything, and they'd read the whole of Proust while she was being a receptionist. Because she had the, you know, she had the brain for that, but just yeah. hadn't had any help. Right. So I, did, I didn't set out with a great feminist agenda, really. I just set out to ask people what really happened to you, and and that was what was so interesting. And it was, you know, it was more nuanced in some yeah. ways. Um, there wasn't a, a kind of high flying path, but there was a path opening, as you say, to go to sexual, to go to sexual colleges was a path. Can we just talk about the typewriter? Oh yes, because the typewriter actually plays just such an enormous part mm. in uh, the lack of liberation for women, but at the same yeah. time, the ability to earn your own exactly. wage. Exactly. I mean, I, I spoke to Sue Pert, who just said when she was at her Cambridge Tech doing her sexual course, I just knew that was my path to a job. We laugh at it now, but actually, there was a there was a narrow path, but there was a path, and you know, we, we all got where we were today through that <laughs> terrifying sort of um, typing to the either. ABBA 
or yes, yeah, so ABBA was the sort of most modern thing you had to type to in in absolute rhythm. Oh, or, I see. What the, they play? The, yes, play music. Yes, or it could be some terrifying march. What's um, your typing yes. speed? Um, yes, I mean, I didn't. I just did a three-week course in Edinburgh, but that really did did get me to a certain pitch. You can type very yeah. quickly, can't you? Well, I went. So did you have to do the shorthand type. as well? You had to do the yeah because I, mean, I flunked my A levels. Yeah, and mm. uh, my you know my parents were worried that I wouldn't be able to earn a, a living. Yeah, and as it turned mm. out, I went to university uh, the year after that. But I did a secretarial yes. mm. course. Probably really useful. Well. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, sure. but, because I think one of the great things now is that everybody does type. It's yes. it's not mm. seen as some kind of special skill. Everybody can every do it. It's liberating. Written, communication had to be the typing woman was the midwife to every single even memo, let alone letter, going out. It, it was an extraordinary country, was, and that's all gone now. For, I mean, from basement to attic, there were type, typists. Yes, and and you write very uh, lovingly actually about the the friendships that were made in in these workplaces. Um, it wasn't mm. all terrible, was it? Well, like, I really did want to describe that, and I just find it's life's not so easy now. I mean, you can't. You, this office is there are glass barriers, glass barriers before you start. I mean, you know, to get a pass to get into. In those days, you could sort of wander into a, up some rickety stairs and ask somebody, steelhead woman behind a desk, is, is there a job for me here? And the chances where there might be some menial little thing. I talk about porousness as well, where you could sort of float up between the layers of the job uh, more than you can now. I think as a, as, a, as, a, as a secretary, you could suddenly be asked to, could you possibly edit this bit of writing? Or well, could you, you go out filming today? And next thing you know, you'd suddenly be just doing something a bit more high-powered and authors were less lean, mean machines than they are now. You they, do they write about costed. some really wonderful bosses, who mm. were, and women and yes. men, yes. who were genuinely inspiring mm. and did look for potential amongst the female workforce and encouraged it. Well, that's lovely, and that, that did exist. It happened just as much as there were the absolute bowers and scrapers who would after you, after you when they opened the door, and then treated you like absolute scum once you got into the office. That so, was men yeah, you were talking that was, about. Yes, there was a bit of that. And also, but women could be just as bad. I came across some really terrifying sort of women who, who just boring, boring, bored, bored, boring, boring when you tell them your ideas. Um, so that wasn't very nice. I mean, there were some real old dragons, mm. uh, but there were, the, the men in the offices mm. were often, they'd fought in the war, for example, if we're talking about the, the 50s and 60s. So mm. their attitude to women was probably, well, a bit strange, but then their life experience had been pretty tough, I'm sure. Well, exactly, and same with the women, the terrifying battle axe nurses who furious with one young nurse who was trying to save someone's life who'd had a cardiac arrest. She said, nurse, you've got your cardigan on. Right. So, so much was... <laughs> Can't save a life with a cardigan exactly. on. No, OK. Um, can we just talk about um, the whole idea of daughters who would be obliged, in fact, to pack in whatever work they had been able to acquire in order to, I think the expression was, go home to help. Yeah. Um, mm. Sons tend not to get called home yes, to help. I mean, that really was a syndrome until really even 1990s, actually. My, my book really cuts out and the you know, first email is my cut-off cut date for this book with the first ping and then we're out. We're out. But, um, mm. but even, even then, girls were sort of expected to give up their job and go and look after some ill uncle, father who said, I don't, I don't want a stranger in the house, I want my daughter. You also explored the lost worlds of these lodging houses. Oh, yes, I um, love my... It's called Diggs, my chapter called Diggs, back streets of Oxford, London. But, I mean, I, often these women I spoke to lived in incredibly grand parts of London. Knightsbridge, oh, I lived in sort of vermin-infested flat in Knightsbridge. You know, so, so there, was, there were these old ladies who I think ran their flats as sort of... Um, Warrens for 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 under under earning young women who 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 lived for a pittance had to queue up for the bathroom every morning, got sort of um, beetroot with white sauce for supper, oh. and <laughs> and probably again had a lovely time earning a pittance, which was awful, waiting for Mr. Wright because and or being taken out to supper by Mr. by Mr. Potentially Wright, who would actually give them a square meal, and they couldn't pay their way because they weren't earning enough. Um, but this was the world of the it world of It almost makes marriage seem appealing. Yeah, I was going to say. I must, I must. 
Well, at the other end of the scale, you mm. give a lovely mention to finishing mm. schools. Ooh. Now, uh, tell us about finishing schools, and do they mm. still exist today? Yes, I mean, I think perhaps they do. This was a more fertile, extraordinarily named, uh, or Chateau d'Eau, or something, all these mar- marvellously grandiose-sounding houses in Switzerland, um, run by Mademoiselle this and Mademoiselle that, who taught you to make a perfect smock frock. Um, not allowed to look at any men, or and had to speak French at the table. And, and again, what an extraordinary... The idea of being finished before you start, I mean, it's just rather a sad word, finishing. Yeah. I mean, we do remember certain things from history, but so much mm. social history mm. is forgotten. Well, exactly. I mean, like going home for lunch. Going yeah, home going for home lunch. for lunch. How about that? Yeah. You know, little things I had no idea. I, just, I was always fascinated by the lunch. I don't know whether you were, but when people scuttle off to God knows where for their lunch, I was thinking, where the hell where are you going? Mm. And, and I did ask people, and one you know, woman who worked as a banker in Poole had to go home for a stifling three-course lunch every single day of her 20s with her miserable parents and even more miserable grandparents who were trying to control her. And I think parental control was stronger in those days. Yes. Um, But you say right at the very end, and I I found it very moving, actually, mm. or perhaps it's concerning, it's certainly a talking point, that women today, some of them, feel wronged by their what life dealt them, frankly, Mm. and they're sort of seeking revenge through a sort of overarching ambition Mm. for their daughters and granddaughters. That is a danger, something to be a little bit scared of just making sure, thrusting worksheets into the granddaughter's hands. It it does happen. And I thought, just because you want to compensate for what didn't happen to you, and just be careful, because you can really put off an 80-year-old maths for life if you just overcompensate. Um, So, exactly, we've just got to be a little bit careful to let Mm. people forge their own paths. And also uh, to still let women enjoy elements of domesticity, elements of, you know, the joys that previous generations had to endure that's yeah, exactly. a different thing isn't exactly. it? I love my laundry yes exactly I do like it exactly I think that's what again I didn't have the agenda of anti anti sort of laundry agenda I thought you know we do all get a sort of Wendy house pleasure in running a real house that isn't no longer a Wendy house that's what a difference yeah. doesn't it yeah. I mean I, I mentioned that you do you do talk about um tougher existences in many ways and, mm. and working in factories mm. and there, there are some lovely details about working in the Tampax factory oh, yes. although no one mm. who worked there was allowed mm. or really ever addressed what it was they were actually making. Yes, they, they, told, they told their families they made cotton wool. Um, certainly didn't, their children had no idea what they were up to. And, and there they were, I think they were allowed a free t- as many free tampaxes as they liked and they occasionally the conveyor belt sort of slowed down they just juggled the tampaxes and occasionally put, put notices, help me, or, or, or severed, severed fingers inside the tampax box. <laughs> <laughs> so lovely. this was the great, yes, I had a lot, yeah. And they probably um, weren't allowed any time off at all for really severe period pain. No, exactly, probably not. But there was this thing called the twilight shift, which I loved hearing about, the six, uh, four hours in the evening, six till ten. Husband got home, bye, didn't have to speak to him, off he went to have your four-hour shift working to make and made, made the vital extra forty pounds a week that really kept the family going. Yeah. Now I didn't know about those twilight shifts. Mm. And do they still exist? Because that's such a good idea. It's a brilliant idea, and I don't know what they do. I mean, I, I think it was in the lo- there were local factories in most towns. Cycle cycle out to the outskirts and work in a hot water bottle knob lid factory, um, and 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 feel absolutely vindicated. And, and play, peace work. You know, the more the harder you work, the more you got. And it was a, a, a rather brilliant, intuitive invention by the factories to, to mm. allow the whole workforce of wives and mothers who was probably sick of their family. And then they got home at 10pm and the husband went off to the pub. So you never had to meet your spouse. It's perfect. <laughs> Do you want to back Anno? Yes, I will. <laughs> Jane is back Annoing, everybody. <laughs> it's an art for you. Students of journalism, pay attention now. Senda Maxton Graham, author of Jobs for the Girls, um, which was a book that um, I really do recommend. If you've got um, daughters sort of in their early 20s like mine or um, a, a, bit, a little bit younger, it just gives them a glimpse of what 
how far we've travelled and how much has changed for the better, just in terms of what a female life looked like. And your options were limited, weren't they? And sometimes, let's be honest, they were limited by other women. You know, by, as as Ascender was telling us, you know, horrible teachers at school, because they weren't always all that supportive. Your own mother may not have been all that ambitious for you. There were well, Everything seemed to be against you, actually, in some ways. Not for yeah. everybody, obviously, but some people really suffered. There's a nugget on every single page of this book, Jobs for the Girls, and there's a reference here uh, to actually... Did you read the Sue Barton books? No. Oh, I did, yeah. Uh, Sue Barton, student nurse. No. No? She was a nurse in New England, and she had all kinds of adventures. Did she? Yeah, <laughs> she did. I think a lot of people will remember Sue Barton. If you did, it's uh, Jane O'Fee at Times.radio. Anyway, Senda, thank you very much for coming on, and thank you for telling us about um, some of those little stories about women in the workplace. And I think, uh, and I really hadn't stopped to think about this enough before reading her book, that the notion that there was a thing, a skill called typing, has just gone, hasn't it? Everybody types. You don't learn to type at school. You don't do all that, you know, wear a blindfold and no, but make you can sure you do it with type, your pinkies. You? Yes, because yeah. I learned how to do it. Yeah. But it's just gone. It's just absolutely gone, that notion of it being a particular skill. And we look if you look around the newsroom mm. here, uh, I'd say that all of our fantastic young colleagues, kind of under the age of 26, can just type. And actually, it's the older ones who... Who st- you know, who will never well, I can't type. really get yeah, the hang of it. Yeah, I just it. stab. I yeah, yeah. yeah. because yeah. you haven't done it all the way through your life. Yeah. So it's weird. Uh, can I just read a bit of a lovely email from Philippa about the book? Uh, I went to one of the schools in Great Malvern, which gets mentioned in a lot of Ascender's books. I was there because my parents worked overseas. I left to go to university in 1983, but the majority of my year group went to the Ox and Cow, which is a secretarial college in Oxford, or the Marlborough Secretarial College, or Eastbourne. College of Domestic Economy. Hard to believe that this was only the 1980s. It's true they didn't teach maths A-level, but you could go to the local boys' school to do maths. <laughs> Sadly, you had to be selected, and I wasn't. These are the 1980s, I know. not the 1950s. Yeah, it makes me think. I mean, nobody questioned me going to university in 1982. Yeah. I mean, nobody else in the family but had ever been. But somebody else is having but, a completely yeah. different experience. God, that's extraordinary. And Philippa says, I got away with doing neither physics or chemistry at O-level, something my sons are appalled by. I did, though, learn how to walk with a book on my head and do shake, take and bob. I don't know what that is. How to close a door behind me without turning my back on the people in the room and how to stand up in front of the whole school and tell them the news of the day. I don't think younger women have any idea of how recently these things were commonplace. And I think you're spot on there, Philippa. Mm. But you do go on to say, uh, all of this said, though, most of us, and that's the girl she was at school with, have gone on to have pretty successful lives without the straitjacket of the modern education system. And at a recent reunion, it was striking how varied and interesting people's lives and careers were, totally different from what you would expect on the face of it. Some had gone on to study in later life or had gone up through the ranks from secretarial roles. Others had started their own businesses or had careers in the arts. So on the one hand, it's shocking that parents had more interest in turning out nice gals than academics. But on the other hand, as someone who has children who maybe haven't fitted easily into the very rigid system which we have now, no one wrote someone off because they were poor at maths. Which is a lovely point. I think that's a really interesting point, that, isn't it? That perhaps there is too much rigidity now in the education system. And that's just lovely proof that actually uh, women are so good 
at making a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Mm, so that, they'll they'll come up somewhere. And also, um, I guess you need to say that a, a career isn't the be all and end all, is it? It might be perfect. I yes, shocking. I know. <laughs> I've got nothing else, love. <laughs> You're right. Right. Okay. <laughs> yes. What was I thinking? Of? <laughs> I think maybe that champagne truffle's gone right to my head. It's better than the wind we both had last night. Um, by the way, we, thank you for asking. We did get home all right. It was very severe, the storm. So windy. Mm. Yeah, I tell you what, Piers Morgan's exit was very busy. <laughs> right. OK, um, we'll be back tomorrow. I can't remember for the life of me who our guest is tomorrow. Neither can I. OK, lovely. <laughs> well, it should be a good one. It'll be a classic, whatever. Uh, Jane and Fee at Times.Radio. Thank you. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, ladies. A lady listener. I'm just sorry. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com